All right, so the last part of Psalm 107. So there's the last uh, 10 or 11 verses. So 33 through 42, 43. Um, and so I titled this, God Brings You Into Spiritual Blessing, right? So we've been, we looked at the four stories, right? The kind of the, the short stories we went through that the psalmist puts in that, that is at least tied to or loosely tied to pieces of history of the Israelites collective life right but it's also part things that we go through in our individual lives as well right so and he's kind of recapping remember this is also a hymn or a song so you know this is kind of the last bit of the verses that, that ties everything together right and so in this psalm the biggest theme is that the people are called to give thanks for God's deliverance right so he has showed them love and grace and mercy right to his people and so they are communicating the woes that they've had, right? So all these things they've been through, but also they're looking at it and they're looking backwards and saying, that was pretty tough, but we've gotten through it because God got us all the way through, right? So we're, when, when things start happening, right, calamities or bad things start happening, a lot of times our initial reaction is to kind of freak out and say, how am I going to fix this? What's going to happen? I don't know. All these things. And so here we're, we're able to look back and go, okay, God got us through all of this, and that's kind of one of those, the whole sermon series has had something that God is bringing us through something or into something as well, right? Because that's what happened. That's what God is bringing us through our lives and the situations in it. And so for us as a church, we've been through a lot, and, and you know we're kind of closing everything up with this chapter of it. And so we can, he'll get us to the next stop, right? And so He's not just stopping, like, okay, you're here, you can stop and rest, you know, but he's like, all right, we got to keep going, right? And so that's the next part of that story. But here, this is kind of the, the wrap-up, in a sense, if you will, of this part. So these last verses are, are kind of just a recap and, and a, a nice conclusion. And so we want to look at this and see this. And, you know, obviously, these were songs, but they were sung in Hebrew, so I don't, there's no music. So I'm not sure how the music would go, um, but... That's what we have here is the song. So I'm going to go ahead and read the verses. I'll read all of them, 33 through 43, and we'll, we will get into the exposition. And so the psalmist says, he, so let's talk about God. So he turns rivers into desert, springs into thirsty ground, and fruitful land into salty wasteland because of the wickedness of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into a pool, dry land into springs. He causes the hungry to settle there, and they establish a city where they can live. They sow, they sow fields, excuse me, and plant vineyards that yield a fruitful harvest. He blesses them, and they multiply greatly. He does not let their livestock decrease. When they are diminished and are humbled by cruel oppression and sorrow, he pours contempt on the nobles, and he makes them wander in a trackless wasteland. But he lifts the needy out of their suffering and makes their families multiply like flocks. The upright see it and rejoice, and it all, all injustice shuts its mouth. Let whoever is wise pay attention to these things and consider the Lord's acts of faithful love. Right? So here's the main point of this, is that even through the tough times... God guides you and brings you spiritual blessings. 
Right, so we broke it up on the, I have three main points of each of the, the, the verses there. So the first point is, God will bless you with provisions, and that's 33, verses 33 through 36. God will bless you with rewards, which is 37 through 39. And then God will bless the wise. So verses 40 through 43. And you can kind of break it, depending on how your Bible is, depending on what version, they may be kind of blocked into little chunks. So I kind of deviated a little bit from what... Most translations kind of how they break it up, um, partly just for the story, but we, we make it flow all the way through. So this first section, though, is that God will bless you with provisions, right? So this section is God proclaims or, or the psalm proclaims God can provide the people with all of their needs and he punishes evil. Right. That's kind of the whole gist of this this whole section here. So although many commentators think that this last section was added at a later date. Right. So somebody wrote the first 42 or the first uh, 32 verses then somebody came in and said you know what this song needs it needs this little part right here right so he, he adds it possibly um, but anyway either way how it turned out whether it was one person or two people writing it right they tried to make it they wrapped it up and try to get everything in a nice little 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 ball or cocoon to, to make the whole thing flow correctly right and so but this description in the hymn praises God for his bounty and it links all the preceding verses to the rest of the the stories right we kind of see the wandering the the people who were starving and God feeds them right so with all the food and set and everything else and the people who are by themselves but all of a sudden now they're multiplying right so you kind of see this this kind of little strings going back to the other stories as we see it, right? And so this psalmist is giving this story, this song, a conclusion. And he's calling the Israelites constantly to thankfulness for God's deliverance, but also all of that really goes to God's sovereignty, right? God has been in control of their situation this entire time, their whole, their whole collective existence, all the way from Genesis to Abraham, and we're going to talk about them in a few minutes, all the way through through this exile that they were in in Babylon, and then bringing them back to the promised land. And they know, because they know what God did, they're confident of what God is going to do. Right? So he, he proved he did it. They have proof. And so anything that happens again, the next time something bad happens, they know that God will get them through it, right? So each time this stuff happens, we should be strengthened. They are strengthened by this process to say, okay, this was terrible, but God got us through it. He didn't leave us, right? So he's going to do the same thing again in some form or fashion. It may not be the exact same way, but right, but he's going to do something to get us through these things. And so... We see here that, that God is in control of the natural world, right? He turns rivers into desert springs. You know, he turns rivers into deserts and springs into thirsty ground, right? So he can control what he wants to make the land how he wants it. And so there are times in Israel's history that's recorded in the Old Testament that God, excuse me, closed up the skies and there was no rain, right? So the time of Elijah, in 1 Kings chapter 17 through 18, God had declared a drought. And so 1 Kings 17 verses 1 through 4 says, Now the Elijah the, the Tishbite from the Gilead settler said to Ahab, as the, Lord of God, as the Lord God of Israel lives, in whose presence I stand, there will be no dew or rain during these years except by my command. Then the word of the Lord came to him, so Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, and hide at the Wadi Cherith, when it, where it enters the Jordan, when you are to drink from the wadi, and I have commanded the ravens to provide you, or to provide for you there. 
So then he proceeded to do what the Lord commanded. Elijah left and lived at the Wadi Cherith where it enters the Jordan. The ravens kept bringing him bread and meat in the morning and the evening. And he would drink from the Wadi. And after a while, the Wadi dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So here it is, God is commanding the rain, and so this, t- this took place, this happened for three years that there was no rain. And it didn't happen again until Elijah had the, the event on Mount Carmel where they sacrificed the bull and he had challenged the uh, prophets of Baal to a battle, basically a duel, and say, well, if your God's so awesome, make him come rain fire down and everything else here on the mountain, and they couldn't do it. You know, Baal did not respond, but Yahweh did. And so then, after that happened, the rain, the rains opened up, right? But we see, again, we talked about it in one of the other sermons for this series, that, that there's a lot of echoes of Isaiah in, in this as well. So Isaiah 41, there's more stuff. Because Isaiah 41, verses 18 through 20, it says, The poor and the needy seek water, but there is none. Their tongues are parched with thirst, and I will answer them. I am the Lord, the God of Israel. I will not abandon them. I will open rivers on the barren heights and springs in the middle of the plains. I will turn the desert into a pool and dry land into springs. Right? It's almost a word-for-word translation for that part. I will plant cedar, acacia, myrtle, and olive trees in the wilderness. I will plant juniper, elm, and cypress trees together in the desert. So that all, my, all may see and know, consider and understand that the, the hand of the Lord has done this. And the Holy One of Israel has created it. Right, so we see the power that God has. He's planting trees in the middle of the desert. If you've ever been to the desert, there's not a whole lot of trees there usually. If there are, they're very sparse and they're very hardy because they can live on certain things. A lot of times you just have the tiny scrub brush. You may have some cactuses depending on where you're at. In, like in Arizona, the saguaro tacks, the, the, the big, what we normally think of as cactuses, the saguaro ones that have the big arms. You have, a lot of times are the smaller, weird-looking ones that, that you can't really see. But we see that God is providing for His people at His will. And He's doing these things, and He's making them, and He has brought them into the land back in Exodus where it says, Look, here, I am bringing you to this land. And they throw the Canaanites out, and the Israelites move in, basically. <clears throat> so the London Baptist Confession of 1689, which the, the, the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 is, is based off of this confession, so it's just older. Um, It says, The perfectly wise, righteous, and gracious God often allows His own children for a time to experience a variety of temptations and the sinfulness of their own hearts. He does this to chastise them for their former sins or to make them aware of the hidden strength of the corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts so they may be humbled. But He also does this to lead them to a closer and more constant dependence on Him to sustain Him or to sustain them, excuse me, to make them more cautious about all future circumstances that may lead to sin and for other just and holy purposes. So whatever happens to any of his elect happens by his appointment for his glory and for their good, right? So he's creating the land, he's turning the desert into pools or vice versa because God is sovereignly choosing to do so because of reasons to bring his people closer to him so they can see that God did this. God made these things happen. So the stuff I have is because of God. Not because I went out and did it. I worked and worked and worked and I earned it and I saved my pennies and I bought whatever it was. God is making all these things happen. Now there is that part. We do do certain things. Right? We do work for certain things. But God is the overall provider of these things. 
And so he's providing for his people while there is otherwise nothing there, or he is chastening his people to make sure they understand who God is. And they're, he's drawing them in. He's just like a father giving a hug, right? He's wrapping his hands around, his arms around him, saying, Here, come here. And so he uses these natural events, famines and droughts, to correct his people as well as we go through and see, right? And they use the exile as well to draw them near to him. And so in the time of Abraham, we also see that God provided for Abraham and his family, right? And he gave him two types of provisions, right? God gives us physical provisions, and he also gives us spiritual provisions, right? So he gives us these things, that tr- the stuff in the desert, the water, the trees, those are all things we need to live, to make houses, to have food, to cook our food, to have water. So the physical stuff, right? We talk about Abraham. When you read Genesis, he was already fairly well off when he moved, when God commanded him to move. But then he goes to Egypt, and there was a famine in the land, right? So apparently Egypt had all the money, so they kind of rolled down there. And Genesis says, It came to about when he came near to Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, See, see now, I know that you are a beautiful woman, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me. But they will let you live, right? They're going to kill me and steal you, and you're going to be stuck here, and I'm dead. So please say that you are my sister so that it may go well with me because of you and that I may live on account of you. Right, so he's looking for somebody else to save him, essentially. It came about when Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. The affairs officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh when the woman was taken into the Pharaoh's house. So therefore he treated Abram very well for her sake and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. And so this time spent in Egypt netted Abraham a very large fortune, essentially. Right? That's kind of how they counted money. He had, he had oxen and donkeys, so he had a herd. He was gathering herds. He had people to you know, do things, work for him, all these other things. So all of a sudden, he becomes richer. Right? God is providing for his family and everything else because, because eventually Pharaoh finds out right, that that's his wife. So he kicks them out. He's like, get out of here because God is going to punish me. So you need to get out of here now. So but he, just take all the stuff I gave you and go. So in a sense, it's almost like free money because this is where, this what seemed like a weird stopping off point for Abram and his wife is a way for Pharaoh to give Abram and his wife money and provisions to move on and get to the promised land. Because right? they had to go back up kind of the coast of the Mediterranean into the promised land, back into Israel, right? So they went from Egypt, which is you know, that North Africa part, and walked back up. To, to the promised land, right? So he's giving them physical needs to, that helps basically get the Hebrews started. Right? He is starting this Hebrew nation, so he's doing this to make sure that Abraham has the things he needs. But also, God provides for our spiritual needs, which is much more important. And so God gave Abraham the faith to take Isaac to the mountain. Right? So because Abraham says, we will be back. Because he knows that God will provide the ram for the sacrifice. Even though he knows what God asked him to do. Take, Ab- take Isaac up the mountain and sacrifice him. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's my kid that I've been waiting for my whole life. Here he is and now you want me to get rid of him. A lot of people, a lot of atheists, they want to say that's just the worst thing ever. That's child abuse. Everything else. right? But this is what it is. God knew automatically that he knew already that he was going to provide these things for Abraham. He would not make him go through it because he wanted to see Abraham demonstrate the faith that he had it and use the faith that he gave him to put to go through with it. 
And that's a foreshadowing, though, for the sacrifice that God shows us in, in ultimately in Christ. Right? So God ultimately followed through with sacrificing His Son, Jesus, on the cross for us. Because God is the only one that can fix our problems. He is the only one that can give us the true spiritual reconciliation with God. And so that is the spiritual blessing that He gives us first and foremost. Because even Jesus gave a lot of physical blessings to people. Right? He healed the sick and the lame. He fed thousands of people multiple times. He even brought a few people back from the dead. But much more than that, He provided our ways for our spiritual needs that we need to be reconciled to the Father. And so Paul says in Philippians 4.19, he says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so Ephesians 2.8.10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, right? So God is providing these provisions with really no expectation of payback because the covenant, because the covenant He made with Abram, we cannot repay that. We cannot uphold our deal. Abram fails multiple times. The people fail. That's why they were exiled. Right? So we have been given this grace through God. And so Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for all of us, or us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? And we see that God is giving us these provisions, not just physically, but also spiritually. And I'm not talking He's going to give you this Mercedes of the money, all the money you need or anything else. I want to make sure we're clear on that. He will give you what you need when you need it to do His will. Right? So I want to make sure that I'm not preaching this prosperity gospel like pray it, name it, claim it, you get it. No, He is giving you the things you need in order to do His will for Him. And so to go along with that, the second part, verses 37 through 40, is that God will bless you with rewards. And so it says that they sow fields and plant vineyards that yield a harvest. He blesses them and they multiply greatly. He does not let their livestock decrease. When they are diminished and are humbled by a cruel oppression and sorrow, he pours contempt on nobles and makes them wander in a trackless wasteland. And so we see this, the work that they do, they're, they're faithful and they become multiplied, they become fruitful. He blesses them and they multiply greatly. So the story of Joseph is a good one to illustrate the difference between the wicked and the faithful. Right, so first, Joseph's brothers are jealous, and they sell him into slavery so they wouldn't have to kill him. Because right, his younger brother has a, like, I don't want to kill my brother. I, I, do, I don't not like him. I don't, wanna, you know, I, don't, I don't hate him. I don't want to kill him. Right? But that selling into slavery lands him in some kind of position of leadership in Potiphar's house. Eventually, right? He gets, kind of works his way up because God is blessing him. He's rewarding him because through the whole thing, Joseph remains faithful. Then Potiphar's wife, though, falsely accuses him. And so he has to go to prison. So somehow he goes to prison. He's still faithful to God. And all of a sudden he makes his way up to the second most powerful position in Egypt. Here is an outsider, a non-Egyptian. He's a Hebrew. He makes his way to the, basically like the prime minister of Egypt. Right below the Pharaoh. And so this position allows him to save his family. And subsequently his whole people. Because all of the twelve tribes... Joseph and his brothers are the 12 tribes of Israel. 
Right? So all of this happens to make this, to make this possible. And so if you guys turn to Genesis 50, this is kind of lengthy a little bit, but this kind of explains it because of this reward that God is going to give us and has given us. So if you guys turn to Genesis 50, starting at verse 15. Right, so this is after Joseph had stored up a bunch of food because he knew there was famine coming. And so the Israelites, or, or Joseph's father and his brothers, come down out of Israel, essentially, into Egypt looking for help, looking for food, looking for provisions. And their father has died. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? Right? Because they realize, they know who he is, because he kind of hid it from a little bit. And so they sent a message to Joseph. The brothers sent a message saying, your father charged before he died, saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God, your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I am, for am I in God's place? Right? So am I to judge? And in verse 20, this is the most important part. Listen. As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. He knows, you guys sold me into slavery, tried to kill me, and all these things happen. But here I am, and we're able to provide for you guys and, again, essentially save the entire Hebrew race at this point. Because they are the focal point there. They become the 12 tribes, right? So he says, look, I'm not here to judge you, but I know this is what God did. And so we see this. And so by the end of Genesis and the beginning of Exodus, over 400 years, right, the Hebrew population had grown so large that the Pharaoh didn't know what to do with them. So he have too many people, I can't take care of them all. And so they institute all these problems, right, these, 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 these policies and try to kill the, the males. But God provided them a place to grow into a large enough population so that they could leave Egypt. Even in slavery and forced labor, God was making a way for them to survive and get through and come back to or into the promised land. So Puritan John Flavel says, All providences are overruled and ordered for good according to that blessed promise, which is Romans 8.28. Which is, Romans 8.28 is essentially the same thing that Joseph tells them thousands of years earlier to his brothers. Whatever you meant for good, God turns into... Or whatever you meant for evil, God turns into good. But not only things that are good in themselves as ordinances, graces, duties, and mercies, but things that are evil in themselves as temptations, afflictions, and even sins and corruptions, corruptions shall turn in the issue to their advantage and benefit. Out of the worst of evils, God can work good to his people. And so we see this idea that no matter what happens because we have free will and we break things and God says don't worry I have a fix for that right? don't worry I can fix this for you I've already fixed it essentially right? and we spoke about this at Easter right? we have Good Friday and some people were like why is it called Good Friday if the person you worship died 
Right, we call it right, the you catastrophe, the term that Tolkien used, the good catastrophe, the good bad thing. And so Christ's death was meant to harm him and humiliate Jesus, right? That's what the Jews wanted to do. They wanted to humiliate Jesus on the cross. And they got the Romans to help. They said, ha, this whole, we kill him, the whole movement goes away, we're back to, life is normal, we can be in charge of everybody, whatever. Everybody wins, the Romans don't have a riot, we get rid of our problem, everybody's happy. <laughs> but what happens? Three days later, he comes back. Three days later, he's resurrected from the dead. He comes back, shows himself to hundreds and hundreds of people. And then later, he, after that, he ascends to heaven because he sits at the right-hand side of the Father. Because he is God. And what Jesus, what the Jews and the Romans meant for, for bad, for evil, by killing Jesus, God meant for good to conquer and remake the world and fix everything. To have the kingdom arrive on this earth. Right? And so this, meant, this death is for our good because we are now able to be brought back and called back to God. And so it is us, the sheep, that are being called by the shepherd back to him. And so if we have wisdom, if we respond to the Holy Spirit, when we respond to the Holy Spirit, we are acting in wisdom, right? So the last part is God will bless the wise. So verses 41 through 43. So the psalm closes with this verse. The verse 43 is, Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Right? So all through these stories, people get themselves in trouble, God gets them out. People get, them in, they get themselves in trouble, in jail, God gets them out. They're on a stormy water, God brings them into the port. He's controlling the land, He's controlling everything. Right, so it's easy to learn from your mistakes. Well, sometimes it's painful, but it's easier because you've made the mistakes. It's wiser to learn from other people's mistakes. If you watch somebody walk into a plate glass door because it's nice and clear, right? And I've done it, I think, right? We've kind of seen it where it's super nice and clean and you're not paying attention. And dunk. Well, if you're paying attention, hopefully you will not make the same mistake. You're like, oh, there's a handle here. I have to pull it to get in. Right, so to make sure I don't run into the door. That's pretty much what's going on here. here. Here is the sign saying, here are the warning signs. This is what can happen if you don't listen to me, if you don't obey. If you totally just want to do it by yourself, God will be there. I'll help you out. But it's going to be a little more painful. You're going to spend your time wandering through the desert. You're going to spend your time in darkness and chains. You're going to spend yourself getting seasick out on the, on the storm because you didn't want to get on the right boat. God lets us kind of run through these things or run out our, our, our line a little bit as if we're fish before he reels us back in and says, come over here, over this nice place over here. Right? The wise do not need to learn from their experience, though, because the pain, from that pain, but they learn from the teaching of others, right? So in the stories, the psalmists are saying, the ones who were fools suffered for their sinful way, verse, in verse 17. Because you didn't listen, you burned your hand. Because you didn't listen, you walked into the glass window or the door. When I told you there was a glass door there. When I told you the stove was hot. But here's the good news. The good news is that the people learned from their sin. They turned to God and cried out for help. Because we're hard-headed, we're stiff-necked people. We don't want to listen to, the, to our parents. Sometimes. I know I didn't. 
So what the, what the psalmist is saying here, though, is that wise people utilize their suffering as a religious opportunity for introspection and repentance where fools do not. A lot of times you hear it, oh, I just have a string of bad luck. I just, this stuff just keeps happening to me. I don't understand why. I don't know why I kept falling down. Because well, you didn't tie your shoes. You keep tripping over your laces because you didn't do the thing you're supposed to do. Right? I don't know. But those of us who are at least on the path of wisdom, because none of us have everything figured out, we go, oh, wait a minute. Oh, yeah, I need to tie my shoes before I fall. Right? And that's the same thing. I need to stop doing this behavior before I fall. And I know if I hit the ground, it hurts. But you learn, right? I don't know if remember, I had a little racing stripe on my head a few weeks ago or a month ago because I moved my trash can with the lid down and it kind of got hung up. So the lid came down, I stepped on the lid. This went this way, I went down. So guess what? Every time I move the trash can now, guess, guess, guess what I check? To make sure that lid is shut. Make sure I close it because it hurt. Because I was foolish. And I still have a big scar, like three big scars on my shin, which is weird because it really wasn't that big of a deal. But those are my scars that we have. We all have those scars. They remind me like, hmm, yeah, that, that's not cool. And sometimes they're more painful, right? Sometimes they are more painful, and that's kind of a funny little story, but it's an easy illustration. So when we're wise, we go, I need to take an extra time to do these things. Listen to what God is telling me before I move on. Because sometimes, just like my trash can thing, it was self-induced. I knew to put the lid up. I read it right there. It says, put close lid before removing the trash can. But I said, whatever. I'm moving it like a foot. It's totally fine. <laughs> because it was self-induced. But to lessen these times, to lessen the pain I had to go through, we should be wise and attend to the things of God and His instructions. Right? Because there's going to be times because we cannot control the ocean. We cannot control certain things, but God can and we can rely on Him. Right? Because again, He's bringing us in. So we can give thanks to the one who has made us and he is delivering us and has delivered or brought us out of these situations because of his loving, everlasting love, his hesed, right? his faithful love that endures forever. So here's the application. What do we do with this knowledge other than just like trying to listen to God better? But there's all this turmoil going on with everything going on. So here's, I have four pieces of, of application for this part. So first is that God is the giver of justice. So when the people got exiled, they really were like, well, this isn't really fair. I was trying to do a really good job of listening to God, going to church, doing all these things, and here I am in Babylon. So what the heck? What gives? Right? But we know that God is the giver of justice. So at the, at the end, there's going to be the final justice. Because there's a lot of injustice in this world. That's what a lot of people are upset about. Certain things are going on. The racial... Racial inequality, all these things going on that doesn't seem fair. Because man is fallen, and we're going to get to the next point in a minute, but we are fallen, so we have a kind of a warped sense of justice. What it means to be fair, what things really mean. But now we have justice provided through Jesus Christ, right? So one author explains it like this. In putting forth Jesus as our propitiation, the Lord vindicated His righteousness, ensuring that He remains just, even as He becomes the justifier of those who believe in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. 
So God provides what sinners need to be righteous in His sight without compromising His justice. When we are accounted righteous in, his, in Christ, justice is still done, but we do not feel the punishment our sin deserves. Instead, Jesus suffered it in our place, right? So God decreed law. If you sin, you will die. So does that mean we all die? Yes, that's part of the, the fall. But here God has brought Jesus in and said, here, he is going to die for you and take away your sins. He is going to justify you to me. So he does not break his own law. Somebody has to pay for it. But some people are like, why does that make sense? One guy pays for the price of everybody? Yes, because one man broke the world, so one man fixes it. Right? Adam broke it, Jesus fixes. Because only God can fix the world. So that is justice. At the end of the day, there will be justice. So people say, well, if I kill a bunch of people and I repent and I accept Jesus in my heart, am I going to heaven? Yes. Is it fair? doesn't matter because that's just man's law and not God's law. God has justified that person for whatever reason to himself. And so, yes, it seems unfair to us in our human standpoint, but it is not unfair to God with his whole vision because he is the justifier. He is the giver of justice. So the second one, though, is that the things going on today and has been going on forever, that we should not be shocked when the world does worldly things. I think sometimes as Christians, we kind of live in a bubble a little bit and we're kind of shocked, like, oh my God, wow, what's going on? People are fallen. People are broken. People do what they think is right. A lot of people, yes, they're trying to do what they think is good based on whatever, but if they don't have the right grounding, it throws everything else off. Because man's idea of justice is fleeting and it changes with the wind. You can look at the different trends and things like that and go, well, last, yesterday you said this was totally fine, now today you don't. Right? And it kind of goes back and forth with it because the world does not have a thing. Right? So if there's no true north, then there's no constant. There is people just drift on the sea wherever the current or their heart would take them. Right? And your heart is evil. The Bible says the heart is evil, it's deceitful. It's going to trick you. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the, one of the parts of the Caribbean movies, Jack, Jack Sparrow, the, the main character, right? He has a compass that points to where his heart desires. And it's pointing somewhere he doesn't want it to go because I think it's one of the girls. So he's like, oh, I'm not supposed to love you, whatever. But it keeps pointing a certain way. He's he, like, I want to go this way now. But it knows it's true what his true heart says. And it's something he shouldn't have or want. It's the same thing when we do. Our heart will lead us astray if, if, it's not the, if it's not set in God. And so we may suffer for the injustices that the imperfect man enacts or enforces, right? We see all these things going on. But when we suffer, it helps us long for heaven and also that we are not long for this world. And so that may seem terrible in a way, in a sense, but we have a longer view of what is happening. This isn't the be-all, end-all. So if we suffer injustices here on this earth, we know that everything will be made right in heaven and everything will be made right at the end of, the end of times. And so here's the third part, this application, that, that through our suffering, we learn about God. Right? Through our suffering, we learn about God. And so the Puritans clarified that God's chastening, because right? we kind of talked about this, because really they were gone, remember, they were exiled for, as a punishment. It was, they didn't, God didn't send them on vacation to Iraq. He said, you need to go over here because I'm mad at you, basically. And I'll let you come back. So this chastening, right? This, 
This punishment, punishing of believers springs not from vindictive justice, right? Because a lot of times we hear the word, the, the, the atheists or people who don't believe, they kind of think that God's just being mean, that he's being vindictive, right? It's not from vindictive justice, but it's from fatherly mercy, right? Fatherly, God, God has fatherly mercy for his people. So when God brings adversity into our lives as discipline for sin, he does not do this, or he does this not to satisfy his justice, listen, but as a rebuke and caution to bring us to mourn for the sin committed and be aware of the like, right? So he wants us to be aware of what happened, right? Just like my pain, my scar on my leg and the racing stripe I had to endure for a few days when I fell, it wasn't because the trash can was trying to get back at me. But it was because, like, oh, I did this. It's a sign. It's, it's, a, it's a reminder to not do that again. And so that's what God is doing through his mercy. And so Thomas Watson says, The grand reason for all these things that work together for the good of the saints is the near and dearest interest which God has in his people. Right, so here Thomas Watson referred to God's covenant promises to his people. They shall be my people and I will be their God. Right, That's an Old Testament saying, but we are lumped into that we are his people. We are in the family by the adoption through the blood of Christ. We, we are brought in, we are grafted onto the tree. As John 15, as, as he explains in John 15, right? There is no two groups, it's just one people. We are God's people. Because really, I heard this from one of the sermons I was listening to earlier. He said there's two kinds of people. There's two races. People who are with God and people who are without God. Right? That's it. So all the nations, everybody, whoever it is, they are all of God because they're God's people. And so with God's people, he is taking care of them. And so by virtue of this compact, Watson wrote, all things do and must work good for them. Right? Because God is glorifying Himself through us. We are glorifying God in our daily lives, hopefully. This word, thy God, is the sweetest word in the Bible. It implies the best relations. And it is, it is impossible there should be these relations between God and His people and everything not work for their good. Right? So we are, if we're on the team, the team is going to win. Everything we do wins. And it sounds kind of weird in a way, but it's kind of the easier way to explain it. God is not going to lose. He's pushing the team forward down the field. He is going to win. So everything that happens, it's because he gets a good bounce. Because he is causing these things. And so these relations in Watson's exposition include the relationship of a physician, a father, and a husband. Right? We see God's never-failing love toward his people. And this includes you. If you are saved, it includes you. You are in that he is my God, I, am the, I shall be there, His people. And that is indeed good news to hear in tough times because we see that no matter what happens, the bad things that we see and deem bad, all of a sudden we know they will turn out good eventually. And again, we're on, when you're on the boat being seasick, you don't care. Like, I just want to get off the boat. I don't want to be here. You know, why am I here, God? Right? We go through the questions, why am I here? But again, the maturity says, okay, what am I supposed to, why am I here? What am I supposed to learn? And a lot of times as parents, our children need to hear that we love them. Right? And we are also children. 
So we, it's nice to hear have our parents tell us that we love them. And we know that God loves us. So even through these things, we can hear God's voice telling us that He loves us. But God also extends a common grace to all people. And so Matthew 5.45, Jesus says, He makes the sun rise on the evil as well as the good, makes the rain fall on everybody, essentially. Because there's some common grace for everybody that He gives out. Because He is beneficent, He is, he is caring, and He is loving to the, even those who are His enemy. And so the last, the last piece of application is that we can give people blessing by giving the gospel. So in this gospel that we have, this good news that Jesus died for us and reconciles us to God and brings us into the family, we can pass that on to other people and give them hope and benefits. And so William Perkins talks about the benefits of the the death of Christ. He says the fifth gain, he has a bunch of them, but the fifth gain or benefit is that all the miseries and calamities of this life cease to be curses and are made blessings. And again... The world usually sees calamities and miseries as bad things. Why would you want to put yourself through that misery? Do something easy. But you see, they cease to be curses and they are made blessings because we are learning things. Because things are turning out for the good of them who are to be saved by Christ. And so why... Why is this? Because the good news is full of hope. Because we don't have to earn it by ourselves. right? We don't have to try to please God so much that He finally lets us in. Like, alright, you did enough. You can come on in. Right, okay, you paid your price of admission. You bought a ticket. You get to come in. Whatever it is. right? He said, no, here, you are in. I have selected you. You get to come in. For no good reason, no matter what, how bad or good you are based on man's idea, I have selected you for whatever reason to do my purpose. Because you serve a purpose. That's, I believe that's the reason why we're selected because He is preparing each of us for certain pieces. And so when people say, how do you know what's the criteria? I don't know, but God has a use for you. God has a use for me. Whether it's the murderer or the person who goes to church every day of his life or she teaches Sunday school every day and everything else, that is the purpose. Whether you say one person or a hundred or a thousand or whatever it is, your purpose is to bring others to Christ. That is why we were selected. And they never know, we don't see it, like just like through the storms, we don't see what's going to end or how it's going to end, but that's what it is. So this conclusion, right, this last part, ties all four stories together and demonstrates that no matter what situation you find yourself in, God is in command and He will provide for your needs. And there's an overarching truth that comes out of each story, right? The people were foolish and got themselves into trouble or distress. And God was the only one that can save them. No matter what they try to do, they couldn't get out. And God comes in and saves them. So God blesses us even in our suffering. And He brings us out of each of these sufferings or any kind of suffering because He loves us. He loves you. And it's important to hear that. It's important to know because with all the stuff going on, all the hate that's being thrown around by everybody in this world right now, it's important to understand that God loves you and us and His, his children and His world. He loves His world as well. So the question I have is, what has turned out for good in your life when you thought when it started it was terrible? Like, this is not going to end well. Right? Even for this church, for the very first few months when everything started happening, you, know, we, you lost your home, everything else, you had to figure out where to go, people didn't want to come. And all these things that happened over the last few years, and all of a sudden, here we are. 
Right? God, God brought us or kept us together. And so far, I think things are turning out pretty well. And maybe some of the things that we have thought even better than even we had anticipated. Right? And I believe we have a, way, we have a ways to go. Well, as a church and both in our, in, our, in our individual lives as well, right? Collectively and individually. But we see that God has demonstrated that if we are faithful, He rewards us. And He provides us the things we need. He rewards this church. He will reward this church. And He will bless us in our wisdom when we do His will by making disciples. Right? So as we go out this week, think about how you deal with suffering, how you dealt with it before, how you deal with it now based on the things you've learned through the sermon series, through, through your life in the last few years even, and maybe how that has improved how you deal with things, right? So as we sing our last couple songs, right, as, we, as we go through our lives, maybe pass that on to somebody else. Pass that on, help them deal with other suffering that somebody else may be going through in their lives.